Hi, this is Carol Kowalczyk from Dr. C and the D, and I am so excited to be with Elizabeth, who is the rock star for Detroit Mom, and wanted to get uh, a little discussion going about the why should I go, should I go, the concern about fertility and taking that step to see a fertility doctor. So I know, Elizabeth, you had some questions that the, uh, some of your people who are into uh, your blog had some questions for me. So I thought we'd talk about, you know, that subject about why sometimes it's so difficult to make that first step to see a fertility doc. Yeah. So, so many of our women you know, a lot of things that come up are obviously one of the biggest ones that we hear is financial, that they think it costs an arm and a leg and too much money to actually have a baby. And then people don't seek help. And it could be that, you know, maybe one partner is like, I want to do this. I I'm willing to take out a loan. And the other partner is like, absolutely not. Like, we're not going to go in debt to have a child. And so, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are on that as far as, you know, insurance, you know, a lot of people I hear don't have insurance coverage when it comes to fertility care, which I think is so crazy. I, you know, so just kind of getting an idea from you, what that looks like when it comes to the financial aspect mm-hmm. of fertility treatment. So I can tell you there's really good news out there about the insurance coverage. So first of all, I'm glad that we're talking about taking that first step because it's important to know that one out of six couples now, it used to be one out of eight, but it's one out of six couples are struggling with fertility. So that's like 15% or more of the population and less than 10% of couples seek fertility help. And they feel like there's many reasons why they can't go to see a fertility doc or they don't want to see a fertility doc. So remember that, first of all, fertility is a medical condition, right? So if you had diabetes, high blood pressure, you'd be seeing your doctor right away. They'd be doing tests. You'd be getting your medication. You'd be off to the races feeling better. Fertility is the same thing. So when you talk about some things that hinder their ability to make that appointment and make that first step, Insurance and, and finances, you know, have historically been a big deal and a big thing because they'll hear from their friends how, you know, inseminations are hundreds of dollars, IVF is in thousands of dollars. So sometimes couples get really defeated before they even walk in the door saying, why am I even going? Because I can't afford to do this. That's not necessarily true anymore. So here's why. Most insurances will cover a fertility workup. So a lot of what we do, so there's three parts to a triangle in the, in the fertility workup, hormone, sperm, and structure. All three of those are non-fertility diagnoses. So insurance companies will cover fertility workup if it's the fact that you have irregular periods or PCOS or you have older eggs. Uh, structurally, if we're checking your tubes or there's fibroids, so there are codes that we can use that are non-fertility to evaluate what we need. Semen analysis even more and more insurances are covering semen analyses, but they usually are around $100. So they're, you know, that's expensive, but they're more affordable than, you know, the treatments that you have down the road. So, you know, please come in for a fertility workup because most of your insurances will be able to cover that workup so that we can, in one menstrual cycle, figure out what the deal is and how we can help you. The other thing is more insurance companies are covering fertility treatment. So, you know, the car companies are covering it used to, like you said, some people say they'd have to go get another job to get fertility coverage. So historically, someone would go be a barista at Starbucks, or there was, um, you know, Apple, Google, 
uh, so now there's uh, some trucker supply, tractor supply company uh, that people would go get these jobs and then there'd be some extra fertility coverage. But fast forward, um, you know, we are really seeing more big companies covering fertility. So for example, you know, Beaumont Health, when they uh, joined, uh, I think it's Spectrum, it's called Corwell Health. There's a great fertility plan for all those uh, employees that work at uh, Corwell Health. Uh, the car companies, so Ford, GM, Chrysler, they have packages where there's something called progeny, where there is uh, an ability for, it's like a pie where you have different pieces of the pie and the car, the companies offer this progeny insurance where an insemination is a certain part of the pie, IVF is a certain part of the pie. There's something called carrot where they put into a bank a certain amount of financial help for fertility and you can pay off your, pay your fertility and then they'll reimburse you. I had a patient just a week ago who said starting in 2024, the federal government is going to provide more fertility coverage. So absolutely, the, more and more companies are on that bandwagon um, to be a Dan Gilbert's group. I mean, Rock Financial. So we're seeing more and more and more companies helping with the cost of fertility. I would say about five years ago, maybe 10 to 15% of IVF had insurance coverage. Now we're looking at 40 something to 45% and it's getting higher year after year after year. So don't think necessarily that you're not going to be able to afford the coverage because more of your companies are on the bandwagon that they want to help couples have families. And this is not just IUI and IVF. I've had some patients that have had coverage for adoption, egg donor. So it's worth coming in to get a workup to find out what the treatment choices are and our billers will be able to check with the insurance to see if there is coverage. And even if there is an IVF quote unquote coverage, most insurance companies will give you coverage towards bloods, ultrasounds, medication toward that treatment. So I'm seeing coming through my office way better insurance benefits than I ever have seen before. Which makes it more accessible to so many patients as well. Mm -hmm. And something I was thinking about too, say you have someone come in that they're, they do not have insurance coverage. What do you guys offer there that makes it more accessible to your patients? Payment plans. So mm -hmm. there are, you know, first of all, there's um, a lot of things that we can do to help with payment plans. Many times if they are in the veterans, uh, if they're active or veterans in the military, or they are first responders, we do give uh, definitely discounts to thank them for their service. So there are benefits there. Cancer patients, we have a you know significant discount for them so that they can get eggs frozen and embryos frozen, so they can get their cancer cured. But definitely we work with patients all the time to help them definitely financially find that they can be have it more affordable. Okay. I love that. Yeah. That's a question. That was one of the biggest questions that we get, you know, when we post or talk about it or, you know, women in different fertility groups are like, I, you know, I want to do this, but I just don't think I can afford it. Or my partner's not on board for taking out a loan to have a baby. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, the more we educate our community on that and the resources that are offered. And like you said, places, are, I didn't know. So Starbucks has really good fertility insurance. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> Who would have ever thought? Well, and you can even Google, you can even Google and say, you know, what companies offer fertility benefits and fertility coverage. And we'll include that in the show notes too. I'll find where that is and you guys can see, because maybe your, your partner can get a job or you can get a job at one of those places, which is really unfortunate too, because, you know, there's so many people that want to have babies and it's not that they, they just can't, but there's mm -hmm. no support for them. You know, if they work in a facility in a place that doesn't give them the right. option. You know, so I exactly. think it's really hard. Um, one of the other big questions we get is people thinking that they're the only one going through fertility treatments, that they're the only person that's infertile or is struggling to get pregnant. And I think that what happens is they they go about it by themselves or they don't tell anyone because they're they're scared of what everybody else is gonna think. And then I'm assuming that adds way more stress to them mm -hmm. when they're trying to get pregnant. Exactly. And, you know, like I said, we talk about infertility, you know, everyone knows somebody that is going through infertility. And I can't tell you how many times I'll have a patient say, you know, I was hesitant to talk about it, but we were at a dinner party and I felt comfortable talking to Maria and Maria said, oh my gosh, she was going through it as well. Or her brother, even guys, guys were like, Hey, I'm at the bar and we're talking to my buddies and we're at a bowling league and I just opened up and found out that they had their baby through IVF. And that made me feel really less stressed that I'm not the only one. So really what's awesome about this generation is because people are saying to me, how come there's more fertility going on? What's the deal? How come we're just seeing more and more people having you know problems getting pregnant? Well, I can tell you part of it is we're waiting older to have our babies. We're getting more established with our careers, with our jobs, with our education. We're being more picky with who we choose. I mean, back in the day, if you weren't married by 22, you were an old maid when, you know, our parents and grandparents were there. But now the average age of, I think, first marriage is early 30s. First kid is early to mid 30s, um, you know, and that's where we're getting more selective with our partners. Um, we want to find the right partner, just not worrying about, you know, marrying Mr. Sperm Donor. Uh, and so it's just really, really important to know that that people are older when they're trying to get pregnant. And then, you know, the eggs have a finite fertility span. Uh, and additionally, I think, though, people are talking about it. So I, that's why it seems, I think, to be more prevalent is because I really love the fact that people are opening up. And I love the millennials because they are all over it with getting information and wanting to know more and being in control of their fertility. I love that. And the fact that they're talking to their friends and they're, you know, talking to everyone on social media, that's getting the word out and that's getting the knowledge that, hey, I'm not alone. And this is something that is a medical condition. This is something that can be fixable. We can find the reason over 90% of the time why you're not being able to have a baby. We've got a treatment option for you. And with having your heart open to all these choices, the, the opportunity for you to have a family is so, so realistic that it's definitely been a refreshing, refreshing change to be able to see that people are more aware of what is going on. And I just wish that they would come to see us sooner than later so that we could get the workup done as soon as possible and the treatment options done as soon as possible. Because here's the deal. 
you know, I, I can't tell you how many patients like, gosh, I wish I would have met you sooner, or I always thought it would happen. Uh, but especially if you want more than that one baby, right? So, I mean, if you want one baby and I've got your test results in front of me, that's one certain treatment plan. But if you're 36 and you want three kids, that's a whole nother treatment plan. And it all depends, you know, I can get you pregnant, but it all depends on how many kids you want. So we can space out the timing of the treatment. What, you know, what might be good for one child may not be the same treatment option for three kids. So the sooner you come in, knowing you're not alone, knowing that the workup is easy, it's done within a month, hopefully patients will be like, hey, I'm ready to take that step. And our environment is such, you know, we just had WGR on uh, visiting us uh, last week and and, you know, they were all like, wow, this is just really a comfortable environment. And so, you know, you've been in my offices, Elizabeth, they're, they're warm and, and we want people to feel like as soon as you walk in the door, we got you and, and you're going to be all right. And, and you got a family around you, another village to help figure this out. I think, yeah, you've definitely done an incredible job with that, with between your staff, your locations, how you, you decorated and all that stuff. And I think even something that I think is really cool that you share often is, you know, the younger, the, with the millennials and this younger generation, the Gen Zers is to get checked out sooner rather than later. You know, like for me having a 23, 23 year old daughter who I don't think is going to have babies anytime soon, but you never know, right? Like if she waits until her thirties and then finds out. And I think you were telling me before, get checked out and then mm -hmm. if you have to freeze your eggs and then you're not feeling right. like, I think where the loneliness comes to and, and women just society says there's this timeline for life, right? Like you go to college, you meet the love of your life, you get married, you have children. And I think what you just said is so true. So many people aren't doing that anymore. You know, it's not like it used to be. And because that's the case, women feel like they're so behind and then they're rushing it. And then they're, you know, so stressed out about it. Or like, oh my gosh, I got to find a husband because I want to have a, right. a child. And so, you know, you saying that, that there are other options, even for women who are listening to this, that maybe you haven't considered a family yet. You, or maybe you've been considering or thinking about it, that there are options also for you, you know, mm -hmm. that you can, you know, be checked out and see if there's anything going on. And if you, or maybe you just want to freeze your eggs and not worry about it. Right. Exactly. And here's the other spectrum too. I can't tell you how many per week we get of 40 somethings who are like, and the 40 somethings, there's a lot of people like, why don't I even bother? Why don't I even try? I'm 40 something. I found my partner later in life. I'm not even going to go check it out. Well, I can't tell you how many 40 somethings are coming in my office who have done just that. They're professionals. They've started their business. They feel comfortable financially. They found their partner later because they were picky and they should be. And But there's still opportunity to be a family when you're in your 40s as well well. So there's still choices. And, you know, many of them are out of the box choices, but I can't tell you how many couples are in their forties that are starting to build their families. And seeing you too is just as important because I can give you fertility potential, can give you choices of what's available. And, and I'll have people that like egg donor is a great, great choice and a great, great option. More and more uh, women in their forties and couples in their forties are doing. And, you know, the latest uh, you can have an egg donor is in your early fifties. And look, how many 40 somethings look like they're 28. They're taking care of themselves. They're all healthy. And they don't realize that their eggs have a finite lifespan. So when you're 43 and you look 32, 
you know, why not? You know, I, I had my kids older in life and boy, they keep me young. I have my daughter at least <laughs> and she'll be like, you're wearing that. Are you kidding? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go change. So she, she keeps me going and she keeps me young, but so are my kids. So, you know, I was an older mom and, and I love the fact that I was an older mom because they keep me young. So, you know, whether you're in your twenties and you're worrying about having the family, looking at egg freezing all the way to in your forties. And you're like, I think it's too late for me. That's not necessarily the case. So that's why I'm really excited that we're doing this podcast so that people don't feel like they're alone. There's a lot of people like you out there that just take that first step and see where your fertility potential lies. Wow. I didn't realize that so many women in their forties were seeking fertility treatment. That's incredible. And I think too, the more women that share their story is what opens other women up to the possibility. So if you're someone that's listening and have struggled, share your story when you feel comfortable, because that is is such a gift to other women experiencing it, you know, to, to hear a story of a woman in her forties, you know, because I do, I think women, one of the biggest things we hear in pregnancy even is how doctors consider women who are older or like, I think it's middle age, right? Or 35 or 36 pediatric. And they're like, well, I don't want to have any more kids because I don't want to be considered geriatric. And I'm like, what? Now over 35 is advanced maternal age, but that is not too old to definitely have a baby. And the other thing is, you know, I'm excited this, uh, this season to have some of our patients, you talked about sharing your story. So you and I have, uh, have, you've interviewed uh, and will be in the process of interviewing probably a half a dozen of my patients who uh, are willing to tell their stories. And I think that that's really important that you're doing that, Elizabeth, so that people can hear from people who've gone through the process to know what it's like. And and there's, you know, all different age ranges and and uh, different walks of life and different stories out there that I think will help to make it so real that you're not alone with all of these, these things. Yeah. And no, you know, from the women that I've already spoke to, no story is even remotely similar. Like they're, I literally, every time I listen, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know this was a thing or this could happen or that women were experiencing this. And, you know, just the resilience that these women that I have spoke to have is just so empowering. I I've, I've cried on multiple zoom calls with several of them because their story is just so touching. So I'm excited to share that with everybody because I do think it's really important that women share their stories when they're ready. And there are some women that don't want to. And also I just encourage them so much to think about the other side. It could be someone in your family that is experiencing it and feels so alone and the things that we can do by sharing and supporting one another, how different that could look. So I'm excited about that. And, and you know what, on the other end of the spectrum, for some patients, it is a very private thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we have to respect that as well. So, I mean, if you're a person who really, I mean, I was talking to a patient the other day who no one in her family knows that they're getting ready to do IVF. The only people who know is are myself, her husband, and, and one other person. And it's a cultural thing. So, I mean, mm-hmm. for, you know, her, it's a male factor and culturally, if the family knew what was going on, it would affect the the family dynamic. So you have to respect on the other side, the yes. privacy. 
and the fact that some people do feel like they should keep it between their partner and themselves and they don't feel comfortable for a variety of reasons sharing their fertility journey. And I respect that so much. Um, but my advice is find someone that you can talk to. And if it's not a family member, we've got Claire as who's been on our podcast before. She's, amazing. She's, awesome. She's our counselor fertility counselors. So find somebody that you can express your feelings and your worries and it too, because, you know, you do have to respect the fact that some people don't want to speak out about it because they feel more comfortable not, and that's okay. But, yeah. you know, know that there's a fertility resource out here, like myself, my team, and even our counselors, that there is an ability to, to get that support you know what I mean? If for some reason you do feel like you have to be more private. So um, yeah. on another podcast, I would love to talk along those lines about, you know, maybe the next time we're together to do this about the religious and the moral uh, aspects, because, you know, depending on certain religious beliefs, you know, there's certain, you know, another reason why people, you know, worry about seeking fertility care. But I think that that's a, a, a podcast we can do maybe next time. Yeah. That was one of my questions actually for you is some women, you know, we service obviously Detroit pot is a melting pot of women. And that has come up is, you know, I don't think I can do that because of religious purposes or I can't do it. So what do you do in situations like that? Right. Cause it's not fertility isn't discriminating. It's not like only this group of people get it only this group of people. So when it's a religious thing, and women so desperately desire to have a child, what is the option? Right, exactly. And I think in, um, we'll do a podcast about that, uh, I think, uh, when we're together next time. But yes, there's certain, you know, religious beliefs where certain treatments are acceptable, certain are not. Uh, you know, there's the the Catholic, you know, concern about, you know, fertilization outside of the body. There is, you know, uh, some certain... Uh, rules with regard to you know, the Jewish population, then there's the Muslim population. So, you know, I think in our podcast, what we'll talk about um, when we're together again is some of those worries in all of those cultures and how we respect those worries and those concerns and, and uh, give you a little more insight about, you know, how we fit religion in into and religious beliefs into the fertility practices. So definitely, um, I'll do a little more homework about certain ones, and yeah. then I'll be able to get back and and talk to you. And maybe I'll have Alexa on on that one, and and maybe even Dr. Boudry's. Yeah, I think that's great because I think you guys see such an array of people, and obviously on our end, we see so many different women, and so you know, how can we give them those resources if they're experiencing it? Because I think it's probably very much a silent thing as well for them. So they're not, yeah, yes. they're not asking because they're like, Oh, if I, if I ask one of my friends, they're going to think something's wrong. And that, you know, like there's, there's all these yes. different things. Okay. So my last one, my last yes. question is women not knowing where to start, like where to even start. Yes. So make the phone call. So, you know, there's two ways to start. First of all, is when you have your annual exam with either your primary care or your OBGYN to open up and say, hey, you know, I just really want to know what my fertility potential is, or I have been trying to get pregnant and it hasn't worked. So uh, the primary care docs have been phenomenal in sending us patients to say, hey, you know what, that's not my expertise, but here's a person who can help you. The OBGYNs do a great job with the basic fertility uh, evaluation of hormones and the structure and the semen 
methamphetamine analysis. And and many of them are, are most of them are comfortable giving, you know, Clomid or Letrozole, the oral fertility medications. And I'm very proud of the OBs that refer to us because they're not keeping these guys on oral medications for a year. You know, the thing is, if it didn't work in, a, in three to four months, they need to go see someone. And so I'm getting that referral system where the OBs like, hey, you're 38 years old, you want two kids, I'm not wasting your time, I'm sending you to Qualcheck right away. Or they'll be like, hey, did your work up? I did a couple cycles of Clomid. Three months of Clomid isn't working. Go see Qualcheck. So they're on it. I mean, the OBGYNs in the area are so incredible that they are all over it with coordinating fertility care. Primary care too. I mean, a lot of primary care are the, are the gatekeepers where you're getting all your stuff done, your pap smears and everything with them. I'm so impressed with the primary care docs that are sending patients over. So they get it too. Too. So that's one way to do it. The other is, you know what, just call us and we can do a fertility workup within one menstrual cycle. The first step is to take that step, make that phone call, share your story. We'll listen and then we'll help you figure out what to do. Don't be afraid. Wait, yeah, okay. So here's a great question. Just listening to that. So obviously women go through this, they're like, oh my gosh, second month, I'm not getting pregnant. Third month, I'm not getting pregnant. At right. what point? Cause I've heard where people are like, oh, if you're not preg- getting pregnant after a year, do you advise women to wait a year of not being able so, to? Great question. So the definition of infertility, if you're under 35, it's a year of trying over 35, it's six months over 40 is yesterday. So that's, if you have no medical history of any medical problems and your periods are regular, but if you're somebody who's 33 years young and your periods are every, you know, 50 days. Okay, you don't wait a year. You come and see us sooner because you have an issue with irregular periods, which means you're not popping off an egg every month like you should, right? If you're 29 and you have been trying two months, but you have a history of an ectopic pregnancy and they took out a tube, come see us sooner. If you are, you know, 40 and you just got married and, you know, your OB is like, are you ready to have kids? Don't be offended. It's not that they are rushing you. It's just that they know your fertility potential is narrowing quickly and they want you to get that knowledge of what your fertility potential is doing, right? If you are, you know, 36 and your husband had a traumatic injury at a testicular torsion or, you know, he's having problems with erections, don't wait, you know, come see us sooner. So, you know, Look at your history. The general definitions are a timeline of a year, six months, and yesterday. But look at your history. And if there's anything in your history that is off with ovulation or something that happened to your tubes or uterus or your male partner, it's never too too soon to come see us. That is so good. And, and I think that's the biggest thing that women struggle with, right? It's like, at what point? And I I honestly think too, what I've heard from women lately is they don't do it, but that there's this part of like being your own advocate. So even if that was me, I could not just if we're like, okay, I'm three weeks, I'm three months and you know, I should wait this time frame. Is there something, do you feel that if women want to come sooner or say, like you said, 35 and before is a year, but if women want to come sooner, will you see them? Oh, absolutely. And what okay. we do. So if I have a 33-year-old who's tried, and we've had this, who's tried for five months and said, I'm not getting pregnant, they deserve for me to look at their history, to look at his history, and then to do a basic workup, right? 
to then show them your hormones are normal. Your tubes are fine. His sperm is perfect. So here's your choices. Let's do expectant management, which means that we have a 10% chance of getting pregnant, 10 to 15% chance of getting pregnant per month. Here's how you have sex every other day around ovulation. Here's how you check your ovulation. You've been trying for five months. Let's, you know, do this plan where you're knowing when you're ovulating, having sex every other day, because sperm lasts in the cervical mucus up to three days. Let's give it another few months and see if it works. And so absolutely, if you're worried and you want to be checked out just to make sure there's no reason why you can't. Okay. My last part to this is that's such good information is what if a woman has been on birth control for God knows how long ever. And she's like, oh, I have a period every single month. I have a normal period. And so say she doesn't say she's in her thirties, inching towards her forties. And she doesn't actually, she's been on birth control her whole entire life. Doesn't actually know right. if she has a regular period. And this was actually, I, I literally just turned 40. And this for me was even eye-opening when someone was like, oh yeah, you, you know that you actually don't actually know if you have right. a consistent period that blew my mind. Cause I was like, Oh, I have a period every single month. I'm good. Yeah. And you know what? That's very important to, to, to say that because birth control usually provides the hormonal environment where the hormones are steady state. You stop taking the pill. There's a hormone decrease in your body and you shed the lining and you have a period, which is, is a period, but it's, more hormone manipulated. So if you are in a process where you think you want to check out your fertility, then you want to be getting off the birth control pills to see what your normal menstrual cycle is doing. Many times we give birth control pills to fix problems like irregular periods, endometriosis, problems with ovulating. So if you're somebody who is thinking about what the checking their fertility potential, then you'll want to talk to us We'll talk to you about getting off of the pill for a while using condoms instead to check your fertility potential and see what your true menstrual cycle is looking like. That's so good. I feel like there's so many things, especially even for myself moving, you know, I'll never forget when you said to me, I had missed like a birth control pill and you're like, you know, sperm can stay in there for like three years. You could have still ovulated. And I was like, that all depends on where you missed the pill, right? So, you like, know, wait. you missed the pill toward the end, you're fine. But if you missed the pill, you know, around dominant follicle, then you're an issue. But well, Elizabeth, it's been really great talking to you. And thank you for asking all these fantastic questions. But uh, I think uh, with our next, I'm excited to hear your interviews with my patients that, you know, we've helped in the past. And then I think with one of our next podcasts, I think we'll touch base on, you know, the religious aspect of fertility and different religions and how that impacts their decisions to seek care. Until next time, this is Dr. C and the D and thank you, Elizabeth. Bye.